You have the power to heal and change your life. You might not have found it yet, but it's out there and it exists for you. Our intention is to have a little fun while introducing you to various new ways of healing. Welcome to the Spill the Ginger Tea Podcast. Did you know you can support our podcast through Buy Me a Coffee? This will help us expand our mission to bring healing to the world. There's a support the show link in the show notes of each episode. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate the support. Hi, I'm Lila. And I'm Angel Amy. And today we're excited to welcome to the podcast Jane Whitlock. And Jane is an end of life doula. So thank you for coming on, Jane. Yeah, welcome, Jane. So excited to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about what an end-of-life doula does? So an end-of-life doula is a non-medical person, Uh, even though we're frequently in medical sort of environments, but we provide physical, spiritual, and emotional support Mm -hmm. for dying people and their families. Um, And I would say really... What a death doula's primary job is to meet dying people where they are without judgment, without having any kind of agenda whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can just be this sort of open person to listen to them and to help hold the things that they're holding that they maybe don't feel comfortable talking to very many people about. Um, And also asking them, tough questions about like, what's your ideal death? What do you want it to look like? Who do you want there? What's your playlist? What, you know, what, what is the vibe in that room? And to get to that vibe, what's the work that we have to do so you can feel at peace or whatever you want to feel in your final moments. And so really in a nutshell, that's what it is. You're finding out what this person wants and you're going backward to figure out how to get there. So beautiful. And, you know, so many people, I'm sure you have found this as well, Jane, are afraid to die. And they're, they're afraid of the unknown. And unpredictable equals unsafe to the humans. And that's part of the human experience. So anything that we can do to put tools in our toolbox, to feel that safety and security um, during the crossing over transitioning process just creates a better experience, not only for the person passing, but also for the loved ones. So it's really like the family that I, from my lens, really worry about um, because when someone crosses over from the human lens, it looks really sad and really maybe painful or disturbing, but from an energetic spiritual sense behind the scenes, it's really beautiful and it, it's, it's so beautiful. And so the more, you know, peaceful someone feels through the experience, it just kind of helps like that whole vibration in the room. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think as a doula, initially your client is the dying person. And as the process 
goes on, the family and the caregivers become your clients because you're helping them understand what's happening. You're helping them understand how can they interact in this experience? How can they find their place instead of feeling outside of it? Um, I think also because there's so much fear around death and dying, lots of times you have caregivers who are trying to protect the dying person by not using certain words or not telling the whole story or the dying people are trying to protect their family. So there's all these layers of stuff going on that are, that are thwarting you to just clear communication. So in a way that is a doula's like, I don't want to say primary, but usually that surfaces first and it's like, okay, we're going to gently wade into this stuff and we're going to find out what matters and we're going to get to some truth telling um, if, if the people are able to do that. I, I always think about, you know, traditional cultures when we were tribal and we all had the same belief about what happened when you died. And there was, that was just, you know, think of the Vikings in Valhalla and, they all believe the same thing. And there were all these pieces to it that they understood. Like if you die in war, then you're an automatic into Valhalla. And, you know, in the fall, the Valkyries come and sweep up the spirits. I just imagine how comforting it would have been to die in those times when there was this steady belief system. And now we don't have that, but people don't take the time to create or to figure out what they believe. So when they're faced with it, it's really overwhelming to think about what do I think happens at end of life? What have I listened to podcast about near death experience? You know, it's, um, it's a lot in the end. So you hold their hand. And so I would sum it up with like, you organize the death chaos. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) but, But that again is like a responsibility. You know, um, and I, I'm not I'm not driving the whole bus. I'm, I'm a person that I feel like we can be emotional lighthouses and we can be calm and we can be showing the way for people to get through this experience. But if people are hell bent on their emotional chaos, then we just are in that and we are <laughs> trying to do our best to radiate loving kindness and support people and say there's many right ways and we're going to get through this and. You know, I think of terminal agitation, that is a stage in the dying process that is chaotic and it is really hard for the caregivers. And I like to tell caregivers ahead of time, there very well could be two, three hours, days where your person is very uncomfortable and none of us are going to be able to make them comfortable. Okay. We're going to try, but they're going on a journey and they're preparing to, I think it's separating from their body and it's uncomfortable and you're going to have to take care of yourself. And, you know, so the chaos is coming and we can't do much about that, but we can be ready for it. And we can have a plan on how we're going to take care of ourselves and remind ourselves that this is a phase and it will not last forever and get support when we need it. Yeah. And that expectation, right? Give people something to expect is going to happen. So everything doesn't feel like a giant surprise. In yeah. The yeah. People are always like, how much time do they have? Right. And I was like, well, let's just talk about the phases that they're likely to go through so they can start establishing their own idea of how much time they have. Right. And sometimes people skip phases. Right? Yeah. That it's not predictable. It's that not predictable. happen too, right? 
And that's another thing you're preparing them for. It's like, this is what death can look like. It's like a smorgasbord. Are you going to pick all these things? Probably not. But, you know, we don't know. Yeah. So, Jane, can you tell us a little bit about what drew you into the work? Yeah, I think a lot of end of life doulas get into the work because they have experienced a loss. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was on this trajectory of I was a teacher. I was a coach. I had all my whole career had been with kids um, in the juvenile justice system. And then my husband, who was a principal, got sick um, and he had a cough. And I really had never entered my mind that he could be like dying. So, uh, you know, we found out in September that it was kidney cancer stage four and a really unusual kind. And by Christmas, he had died. And so I was thrust into this experience that I was not prepared for. There was no one around me who was prepared for it. Rob certainly was not prepared for it. Um, So... I took all that, that experience of being like, wow, this is happening everywhere all the time. And this, I mean, hospice is amazing, but they are not there as often as I believe people need them. So um, after he died, I really threw myself, I just surrendered to the universe. I said, whatever I'm supposed to do while I am here, like I am willing and listening. And um, it really just steered me so clearly to death, dying, grief. Um, And then I found out about an end of life doula program in New York. That's amazing. Yeah. So what do do you start with uh, families like so you work with families? Is that correct? Well, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I just want to know, like, how do people typically find you? And then how, like, what stage do you jump in when the families, when they're ready for this? Or I guess, how does it work, Jane? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good question. And uh, um, one I've heard before, I, I think the ideal time to meet with a death doula is when nobody is dying. I mean, say you have have a family around the table, you have a death doula come, maybe you're talking about living wills, maybe you're talking about code status, you know, just get the conversation going about these end of life questions that everybody should be answering for themselves and sharing with their tribe. Um, Of course, I I don't get called that early frequently. I get called, you know, it's funny. You get called by the neighbors saying, Oh, I think something's happening next door. Like nobody will tell me anything, but there's all these hospice people coming. Like, what can I do to help? Um, Or um, a family member will call about another family member who's dying, but the dying person will not want a doula. And I get that because people wanted me to hire a death doula with Rob. And that was 2013. And I was like, I am not getting one more person on this circus. Like, no, it's like one more person to manage. Can't do it. So I, I get that feeling of being overwhelmed already. And now you have to add somebody brand new. Um, But to those people, I would say at least do a consult, at least meet with them. Find out what they can offer you. you you're under no obligation to, to continue with them. Um, so I think it's when people get a terminal diagnosis, sometimes they will hire a doula. And that's the best because sometimes you have years and you can. I, I had a client that I was with for 18 months 
And we could work through so like her grief about leaving her children, her grief and concern about whether her spouse could be a single parent. Um, And then, you know, her uh, family relationships that had kind of been stalled for many years. But how does she want to handle that? And then she was like, well, what about me and my dying experience? How, How do I learn how to die? And so we talked about that and prepared her room and, um, it's different. Being a doula is really, really different for every single person and every family. I, I have had no repeat um, experiences. Oh, wow. And now I'm in a skilled nursing facility. So that's a little different because people are not really choosing me. Um, I like I have a kind of group of people who come out of the tr- transitional care unit. They have been pursuing every treatment under the sun. They've had all these really painful procedures done. And then they had an epiphany in the hospital. I'm done no more. And then they get sent to a nursing home to die. So those people are so acute. They have probably under a month. Um, so that that's actually kind of my, I don't want to say favorite client, but they're so ready to, they've been pushing it away for so long and now they can no longer push it away. So everything just comes rushing forward. I don't really know if I'm answering your question, but you get involved at all different times. Okay. And I'm, I'm wondering, do you find, um, the mentality a lot of like this idea of accepting, like having gone through all these medical interventions and then just saying like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you find some people saying like, why are you giving up? Are you depressed? Yeah. Like their support system. Yes. Um, Yes. So I had a a young woman in her fifties who um, had, you know, lots of times people have bed sores that don't ever get better because they have diabetes or they have a heart condition or they have these other. So people, the support system doesn't really understand that you're literally dying from an infected bed sore. Um, But it's, it's so much, it's this layer of, of health problems. So um, I was speaking with her. I was like, what, what's weighing on your heart? You know, often I ask people, how are you sleeping? And they say not very well, usually. And then I said, what's, what's keeping you up? And then that's, that's the stuff. Right. And she said, I want to say goodbye to my people. So we wrote a letter and um, prepped for the call. And then she was going to read the letter and I was outside the door and I could hear the friend saying over like, don't give up. Like yeah. they, you, it's just, you can get better. You know, you should be doing rehab, but not listening at all. Just like pounding uh, their own anxiety and fear into this person. Um, so after that, we debriefed and uh, <laughs> we made a plan like, OK, I have to talk to your tribe and I have to teach them answer all their questions. So she is not having to answer them. And then I have to teach them, how do you say goodbye to someone? How do you have that conversation? And how do you listen compassionately to things you cannot fix? So we do all that. And then we have another round of goodbyes and it's so much better. Everybody's crying tears of gratitude for being in each other's lives and, and, and remembering, um, you know, like the great moments and what they're thankful for. And, no, that's what's going to give that person peace that she downloaded all her love into, into her people. Yeah. Yeah. That's like so beautiful. And it's hard when 
Well, let me say it this way. It's nice when someone that is passing feels they have an advocate and, and, you know, you are like a tour guide to take people to their strength, whether they're aware of it or not, so that they can drop into their heart center and say to the loved one, this is my choice. I'm choosing me. I understand that you have your own views, but I'm choosing me and this is what I want and I'm ready to go. Right. And I don't know what person couldn't take that. It's, it's just so beautiful, but without that support that, that, uh, death doulas give, it could just continuously go in circles. And so, yeah. I'm sure you see that too. She's shaking her head. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. and then, you know, unfortunately, probably some people's, um, you know, what they actually want to happen probably gets superseded, right? Because there's other people around them that are saying, well, if, if they're saying they want to die, clearly there's something wrong with their brain as well. And we need to keep doing these interventions on their behalf as either a medical proxy or, whatever they're doing when the person is, is, you know, just saying like, I, I've had enough. And, you know, there is the, I see what the end is going to be. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I've been right. enough. I'm, I'm ready. Um, right. Right. I think, right. Autonomy, giving that person who's lost so much back their autonomy to make decisions. I love the way that you phrase that, like, dropping into your heart center and like, what do I need? What do I want? And I think that is a conversation. Like when is the quality of my life not good enough anymore that I, I just want to let go. And I think to have that in your head, even right now today to know, I asked my dad that and he thought for a little while and he's, he just died, but he was 91 when I asked him and he said, if you can wheel me outside and I can feel the sun on my face, that's good enough. But then, you know, COVID hit and he was inside for 18 months and, you know, but just to have in your head, if I can't do that anymore, then I'm not willing to undergo these painful treatments and da, da, da. and we have to be able to give each other the space to say that, right. You know, without all this added pressure about giving up or leaving me, or, you know, that's another thing is you see like relationships. I, I hate to say needs to change sometimes, but, um, for if it's been really dependent, and there's a person dying and that other person remains dependent on them. It's just, it breaks my heart because this, this dying person is trying to take care of somebody still, and they don't have the energy. They right. just really don't. I went into hospice um, when I was a volunteer and uh, this man, I think he probably died two days later. He could, he was struggling so hard to speak and his wife was elbowing him saying, we're, you know, we're going to kick this cancer's butt. And it's like, Oh, that ship has sailed. Right. No, no, we're going to crawl in bed and hold you. Right. <laughs> right. So let's talk about acceptance. That, yeah. Like, I mean, none of us want to lose our spouse or our mom or our dad or a sibling or a best friend, but it's going to happen, everybody. Right. And mm-hmm. I think we lose sight of that with contemporary lifestyle and how fast we live. We think that we're all, what is it, immortal, Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's going to happen. And so when someone says to you, I'm going to die and I'm ready to die, we need to listen. Yeah. But it may not be as direct as that. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's body language as someone lays there or it could be um, a change in behavior or so I, I think it takes me to this story really quick that I have. When I was first starting out as Angel Amy, I shared an office with this beautiful woman named Heather and she was a healer and we shared this office for a good three or four years. And when Heather turned 52 or 53, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And around her 54th birthday, she called me and said, Amy, I'm going to Hawaii for an end of life traveling trip. And she says, I'm going to going to spend, I don't know if it was two or three weeks there. And when I come back, I'm going to die. And I said to her, Heather, I love you and I will see you again. And I, in that moment, I say to myself, what happened? I needed to step aside because she was telling me she was ready to go. And so she was just like, keep everything in the office. It's all yours. And that was her (laughs) tightening things up. And I said, I'm going to start passing things to other healers in your honor. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't mean you can hear it in my voice. It wasn't hard for me. Right. It was, but I think that we all need to learn how to listen. Like the simplicity of that is huge. Yeah. Right. Do they in, in you're in Montana, right, Jane? Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. So do they have, oh, <laughs> do they have, um, like death with dignity laws in Minnesota? No, we're trying to pass it right now. Um, and I, you know, I, that's not like a home run for me, the death with dignity. I, um, I think in a death averse culture mm-hmm. where people are so afraid and have no tools in their toolbox that it can become, um, it can become a way to sidestep the whole experience. And I do believe that death is transformational. Now, do I have a terminal illness that is excruciatingly painful or, you know, yes, everybody gets to choose. I don't pass judgment on that, but I do want to put a pause in there to be like, okay, how can I allow myself to go far enough down the path where I am transformed by it? and my ego is diminished and my spirit comes up. Um, so there's also, have you heard of visa? No, no. So it's voluntarily stopping eating and drinking. Okay. And I had one man do this. He was, um, he wasn't even on hospice. He just, he had health problems and it made it, he was dependent on his children for toileting. And he's like, Nope not interested. I, I don't ever want to live anywhere but my house. So he, he gathers children. And he said, I'm t- stop taking all my meds. I'm not eating any more food and I'm not drinking. We're done. So they were able to get him on hospice for one of his illnesses. Um, and then he died in eight days. He took one dose of morphine 
And uh, it was very peaceful. And he had all his people around him. And so sometimes I think, you know, there are other ways to do it. It's not just medical aid and dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my that's my two cents. So I I believe in dying with dignity, but we may be saying the same thing where through connection with the angels, they have explained to me that everyone has free will and you, the free, your human free will is what keeps you here. So when a human is ready to drop their free will, they mm-hmm. have the, the license or the opportunity to have that transition experience. And so I just believe that what I might do might be very different than what Lila does. Or what mm-hmm. I may choose to do at my end of life experience could be very different than somebody else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I just believe that everyone deserves the opportunity to tune into themselves and choose what kind of experience that they want. Yeah. And so we, before we started, I joked that I might want rap music at the end, (laughs) right? (laughs) Little 50 cent. I don't know. But then I'm like, but maybe I want Lionel Richie. (laughs) And Jane came back and said, well, it can shift and change. Right. You said that in your own words can't in, like through different stages. Right. And, but just to even think about it is powerful. I want to talk about this. Now we're all moms on this panel today and I still have both sets of parents. So I have my parents and I have my husband's parents, my, my boomers, my four boomers that are still alive. And I say to them, please put it in writing what you want. Because my mom, actually, when I listen to her, wants something very different than what my siblings would ever think she would want. And then I'm just afraid that they're going to think I'm making this up. (laughs) Because she wants this whole crazy spiritual Native American experience, like on a boat, like you should hear it, you would die, right? So she's like, so meaning if anything, do this for your loved ones, like outline it for your children or your siblings or so they don't just have to assume it's what you want. Well, and and to chime in on that, I will say I have um, my father still alive. And now my father-in-law is still alive. So both my mother and my mother-in-law have passed away. And it's like there's no plan in place at all. So all their stuff is still there. They haven't sorted through anything. And um, in my mother-in-law's case, they managed to find a piece of paper that laid out all these instructions, but they hadn't done any of those. Like she wanted this specific burial plot, but they had never bought the burial plot. They wanted these things to happen, but they actually hadn't done any of it, which is like to our minds as the children who now have to do all of these things and sort through all of it. It's like, what were you thinking? (laughs) Well, how could you not have a plan? And and, and, and children can have riffs about these things that last forever. That's where I was going. The way you die, the way you tee up your death for your children is your final gift to them. And I think also you need to answer that question of like, what makes your life worth living? And then we keep that in mind when we make all the decisions that are coming down the pipe for you when your parents go into a senior living community that this is what I think. I think senior living communities should be 
specialized death centers. They should be specialized places that support families, that educate families. So your mom goes into a senior living facility and she has a history of heart disease and something else. So you have a meeting and say, this is the trajectory that could happen given who you are, your health. So there's going to be these step downs. Okay. So everybody knows they're not going to be shocked when your mother starts falling. She starts falling. She starts passing out. She starts, or whatever. Um, Because it's like you get in those facilities. My mom has Alzheimer's as well. And her, she's forgotten the grandchildren. She has not forgotten me yet, but her goal is to die before she forgets everybody. So then in the care conference, when they're like, well, your mom's dropping weight, you know, so we put her on insure. And I'm like, nope, 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 no. She's dropping weight because her body is dying. So we're going to support that because we want a natural death. The whole idea of natural death, that should just be in the vernacular. Like, yes, we all know we're going to die. I, you know, so you, um, you use that lens to make all those decisions that, because if you don't, they can prolong that life for a very long time. You know what I, I just have been saying to my mom, like, do you, do you want to be, in the specialized wheelchair and you don't know anybody. And she's like, no, I will, I will jump out the window. And I'm like, you're on the first floor. (laughs) (laughs) um, So I just feel like we're not doing families a service by not preparing them for this thing that is going to happen. And why don't we have entire floors of senior living facilities that are just for dying people where staff become specialized. We, We have staff down there that's comfortable that can talk, you know, and I'm talking housekeeping, dietary, anyone who comes in that room is comfortable having a discussion with that person who says, I'm really afraid to die. Right. Because who knows when they're going to have the courage to get that out their mouth. And if the person who they say it to says, oh, you're going to, you're, you're doing fine. You're getting better, you know, <laughs> and basically stuffs it back in their mouth, then they are so alone. And this stuff happens right. every day. Yeah, it's just, right. I don't, that's my next head talk. Is like, I love it. <laughs> we are at the specialized dying centers. Yeah. Uh, so my dad has pretty advanced Alzheimer's. He's, uh, I mean, he might smile at you. He hasn't known who we are in quite some time, but really sadly for him, you know, his body is still really strong and he eats and, you know, that's really all he does. And for some reason he's never gotten a bed sore. He's never like none of this. I mean, he, he's, he has never gotten pneumonia. Nope. And he has, I mean, he has suffered so many indignities, right? He's completely incontinent. He's, you know, the the big thing is they always say like, you know, well, he's not cooperative, you know, like, because he just basically, and, you know, I can't tell you as the family how difficult that is to have to be explaining to the people that you're paying to care for him. Like, well, he has Alzheimer's, so let's not expect too much from him. In yeah. that. Well, he doesn't know where he is. Would you be complying right. if you have no idea where you are, what's going on, who's coming exactly. in? Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry. It's so hard. Oh, thank it you. is. Yeah. It is hard. It is. And we have all this, as we should, programs in place and procedures for when little babies come in, because of mm-hmm. course we want to all have healthy babies. And, mm-hmm. and so there's, proper care and for the most part, right? But then when it comes, like you come in alone and you come out alone and you Mm -hmm. go out alone. 
meaning let's make the person comfortable when they come in because they can't help themselves, right? Let's make the person comfortable when they leave because they can't help themselves. So I'm not so sure where we got necessarily in society where one is looked upon as this this uh, beautiful thing and the other is like looked upon like down in the dumps where ready um, where really uh, as a spiritualist they're they're equally as beautiful and crossing over me even in my world in my mind be even more beautiful because you get to go back to the, the dimensions like you get to go you become all knowing and that's the the next thing I want to say to whoever needs to hear this is you actually don't have fear when you cross over. There's a build up to that point, but when you when the when you're at the exact end of your life, when the soul leaves a physical body, what happens is the ego is a separate uh, compartment from the soul and the ego houses fear and the ego detaches from the physical body within three seconds after you pass and fear vibrates too low to get into the other side. So there is no thing about, you don't have fear when you're passing. It doesn't even exist. It's the people around you and all their shit comes up <laughs> that they're going to have all the fear. And this is what we're talking about today <laughs> is how, tools in your toolbox on how to, how to actually release someone you love with love. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's hard everybody, but you can do it because you're, you're, you're a resilient, strong being. Well, and ultimately by facing these things, as you say, like before anything happens, you start to think through the process and there's probably going to be less fear because it's not, oh my God, I have no idea what's going to happen next. It's, oh, I've sat with Jane and I've thought about how Mm -hmm. I want it to happen. And then there are people that I have empowered to be sure that it will happen the way Mm -hmm. that I want it. So it, 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 it sort of lends itself to being less scary even though, it, you know, it, it's hard for people to talk about dying. It's hard for them to talk about themselves dying or their loved ones dying. Um, mm-hmm. But it probably would make that so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have a game plan. Exactly. You know, and everybody's on the same page, so you're not. Um, I have noticed that in my building, there are less religious people and more spiritual, not religious but they don't have any idea what happens. At, and I, we have a lot of vets and just, you know, guys who have been through incredible stuff in their lifetime. And uh, have you ever heard of the book, The Incredible Afterlife of Billy Fingers? No, no. You know, you got to read it. It's so okay. good. It's this woman who um, her brother dies and then he comes back to her and says, we're supposed to write a book about what it's like to die. So he, so he, he takes her through everything. So I frequently read that with people because the moment of death is so like you're being healed of all your pain, emotional, physical, spiritual, and you're, you know, it's just all loving acceptance and, you know, uh, and I have been reading it with people and um, they'll say like, you're making me want to die. You're just ready. You're ready. You're just, you're all your stuff here is done. Yeah. So maybe we get dad the book. 
<laughs> right. We read in the book. Yeah. yeah. I read it to both my parents and yeah. my, my dad was like a corporate lawyer, uh, you know, not the guy who's going to believe in afterlife experiences, but I, I was reading braiding sweetgrass and that to him. Mm-hmm. So as time went on, he would always repress Billy fingers. He's like Billy fingers. They look yeah. at it brought him peace. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it, it is energetically a peaceful thing. It's a peaceful transition. Mm-hmm. So in the last few minutes, tell us how you landed this Ted talk. Oh, that's a funny story. Um, I, before, when I just started being a doula, I cleaned houses and I read astrological charts and I was a death doula, all those things. So my wow. friend, I was cleaning for my friend and then she lost her job and she's like, I can't pay you anymore. And I hate cleaning my house. And I said, okay, I'm going to come clean and outsource developing my business to you. And she's like, okay. And then she nominated me for a TED talk. And then, you know, you meet with that. It's really actually, it's a volunteer organization. Mm -hmm. And so they, I think there's like 13 people. They meet once a month with somebody, get the story. And then they all convene and they have one minute to tell my story about who I, who is death doula Jane. And then they vote and they do that every single month. And then by uh, July, they pick six people out of that whole thing. And then they, they train you about, you get a speech coach. They help you, you know, give you ideas on how to craft your talk. They um, do a body language coach. Um, You have to memorize it. You practice. I mean, it's really, I totally went wildly off script. So my (laughs) TED talk was really like, you have a huge clock on the floor and 18 minutes is the max. Um, And I didn't think people would think it was funny. So I just totally relaxed. And then I I just was like, I don't care if it goes over 18 minutes, because who cares, you know? Um, And I have a really dry mouth. So halfway through, I had to run off the stage. I just grabbed somebody's water and just chugging it. And then I came back on stage. I'm like, I don't even know whose water I'm drinking. And I mean, it was hilarious. Uh, So they had to edit it. Like, that's why all the laughing gets it's there's some awkward edits. Um, (laughs) Great. And I was using my hands way too much. I'm sure I broke all the rules. But oh, thanks for sharing that. That is such a beautiful accomplishment. Yes, it is. And it's definitely something everyone should check out Jane's Jane's TED talk. Yes. I made my husband watch it. He loved it. Jane. (laughs) He loved it. Yeah. And I don't even know if he's married to me. I don't even know if he believes in the afterlife. I ask him all the time. He's like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah, exactly. I don't put it on anybody. Yeah. You can't. um, I was trying to export my afterlife beliefs to Rob and he's like, I I have no idea. Yeah. Like I'm I'm totally comfortable having no idea. I'm like, okay. But now that he's dead, I'm like, you now you know. Yeah. That's what I say to Andy. My people will help you. It's all good. Yeah. Then you'll know, and we'll just be on the same page after that. It's good. Yeah. Jane, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Is there any special story that you can think of that you'd want to share with everyone? Um, well, I will say that it being a death doula is not always just super heavy. And um, also, 
we're seeing these, these people are alive. So they're not the dying. They're like people who are dying, but they're alive. And so um, I've just had a really great time with, um, I had one resident at, at the nursing home and um, she loved waffles. So we had a waffle party. I brought in a waffle maker. We had a soundtrack. She wanted a haircut. So we got the social worker and we had a haircut party and then we all had popsicles. I mean, I, we had such a good time and I felt like I know her so well. She did say to me, do you, do you get sad when your people die? And I said, of course I get sad when my people die. And I said, but you know what? I carry you with me. Like I carry a little story about everybody with me. I said, do you want to know your story? And she said, yes. And um, she had, she was all into animals. That was her life. And I have a Newfoundland. And so I was complaining about the hair everywhere. And she said, oh, those are Newfie kisses. And I said, I'm every hairball I see in my house, which is all day, every day. I'm going to be like, Sally told me those are Newfie kisses. She's like, that's a good one. I'm happy with that. That's so sweet. And so, so yeah, it's really just about connecting with people and it's not, it's not as it's sadness is not the profound emotion. It's more just like connection and gratitude. And, and I also, I also really believe that the grim reaper is our friend. The grim reaper is preparing us t- for dying by taking things one by one, by stripping us of our ego, our job, our keys to our house, our keys to our fancy car, the shoes that we love, the purse, the keys, the wallet, the cell phone. The grim reaper is just taking that slowly one after another. And, you know, the grim reaper does take your fear because you have no energy to be afraid. You are, you know, um, I just, I'm a champion of the Grim Reaper. Everybody's so down on it. And I think it's yeah. a man. I, I, I can get on board with this, Jane. I can. I'm sick, I'm sick of everything being a man. Like he, he, he. Right. Like, oh no, the, the Grim Reaper is a sheep. They're all sheep. We don't right. know what sex is. It's a sheep. And she's taking you back to you. Right. Cause you come in and you don't know who you are. You don't remember. And that's the whole journey of life. The human life is to have this experience and remember who you truly are. And then she comes back that grim reaper strips you down naked again. <laughs> and it's all about you again, the simplicity and the beauty of you. And Oh, I love that. That's so, nice. so she's a gift. She's a, she's giving you a gift. She's a gift. She's softening you. She's reminding you. You're not, you're just, you're just a person who's here to love. You know, I do trainings with AIDS in the facility and we're, I do a death meditation where I, I take them through what it feels like to die and how important their work is with these really vulnerable people. And um, one of the AIDS said, why do people get nicer? Why do sometimes do people get nicer when they're dying? Because they're becoming their elemental selves. We're all better if we don't have an ego. Right. You're yeah. right. They're, they're forging a deeper connection with their soul because the soul is what actually transitions over, not the ego. Right. Mother Earth gobbles the ego up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does. She does. She takes it on. This is why we need to honor her more. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was so beautiful, Jane. It was so nice to meet you. Yes. Oh, thank you so you much too. for coming. Yeah. Thank you. So Jane, how can people get in touch with you? So my website is deathdoulajane.com. And um, if you're interested in finding a doula, there's the national end of life doula 
Alliance, N-E-D-A, and they'll have a directory that goes state by state. So most likely you can find someone in your neck of the woods. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm also, you know, because things are virtual, I'm a founding men, member of the Minnesota Death Collaborative, and we do monthly meetings. That, so you can, it's Zoom, so you can join from anywhere. Um, but really, really great. We just did medical aid and dying. Um, we've done VSED, you know, all topics about end of life. So that's a really great resource. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Jane. We really appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. We hope you found this enlightening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And we're on Instagram at Spill the Ginger Tea Podcast. So if you have any questions or comments or maybe suggestions for future shows, you can message us there. You can find me at Angel Amy, myangelamy.com, and I'm Angel Amy1123 on all the social media platforms. So thank you all for listening today. And until next time, be be well. well.